It's been a couple years now since we have had members of our church, six or seven of them, rotating, leading worship on Sunday mornings and singing. And you guys, thank you for what you're doing in the ways that you're leading us every week. Thank you so much. It is a gift to be a part of. Um, it brings us into God's presence each week, and we get to watch as different styles and personalities and gifts are being offered in that way, and we are really grateful for it. Thank you. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. Paul writes, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is with him, one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. God in heaven, I pray, Lord, that we would receive your word for us today. Teach us to honor you to worship you with our bodies. Amen. So this is what we're going to talk about today, about what it means to worship God with our bodies. Romans 12 says that we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. There are a couple of different places in Paul's letters where he tells us that in everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink or in any other thing, we should do it all in thanksgiving and in praise to God. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul speaks in very clear terms about the way that, that what we do with our bodies matters to God. How we eat, what we eat how we satisfy the, satisfy the needs of our bellies is a matter of worship. How we use our bodies sexually is a matter of worship. Again, Romans chapter 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You are a human being. 
And to be a human being means to have a body. We worship God with our bodies. You can't do anything without your body. That is both a really obvious and also a necessary thing, I think, to say today. That to be a human being is to have a body. And we can't do anything, including worshiping God, without our bodies. The Christian faith takes the human body very seriously, to, seriously, and today we're going to talk about what the Bible says about our bodies and how our bodies relate to being a people of steadfast worship. Here's a quote from um, our friend C.S. Lewis. Um, if you like C.S. Lewis, you're really going to like this sermon today. There's plenty of Lewis to go around. He says this, Christianity is the great religion that thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself took on a human body, and that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven, and is going to be an essential part of our happiness. The two biggest holidays of the Christian year remind us that Jesus had a body, that God took on our human flesh. At Christmas, we remember the birth of Jesus, the incarnation where the Son of God takes on a body, becomes one of us, takes on a real human body. His first earthly home was in the womb of Mary. And then when he was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a dusty manger. Jesus, the Son of God, is born into a family in a particular place, in a particular time, just like you were. He learns to walk and talk. He eats and he drinks. And he does those things required after you eat and you drink. He goes to weddings and he cries at funerals. He feels pain. He feels hungry. He laughs. The good news of the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Jesus took on all of our humanity. He wasn't a little bit human. He wasn't part human and part God. He wasn't 51% God and 49% human. He was fully human. This is what Christmas reminds us of. And then there is Resurrection Sunday, the day that we remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead with a body, not as a ghost, not as an idea, not as a mythological concept. He was raised in history with a body. After his resurrection, he ate bread and fish. He invited his friends to eat breakfast with him on the beach. Jesus was raised with the body. This is the historical fact that we place our hope in. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 says this. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Christianity takes human bodies very seriously. Our bodies are a gift given to us so that we can worship God. Our world tells us a lot of false and distorted stories about our bodies, about the meaning and purpose of our bodies. 
in media and in entertainment and in advertising and in the church. We are told distorted stories about the significance of our bodies. I want to begin today by articulating some of these distorted stories about our bodies and then tell us the true story that the Bible tells us about our bodies. And I want to acknowledge here at the very beginning that at the very outset that every single one of us um, experiences shame when it comes to our bodies. And so for some of you, this sermon may hit close to home. You may feel shame during the sermon at some point because our bodies are very closely related to the shame that we experience in our lives. We are often ashamed of our bodies. The way they look, the way that they don't do the things that we want them to do, the way they sometimes do things that we wish they wouldn't do. I don't know why, but my armpits are really sweaty today, and I'm kind of ashamed by that. I don't know what that's about today, but here we go. Every one of us, every single one of us, in one way or another, is ashamed of our bodies. And we're also ashamed of what we do with our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul names food and sex as two areas of our life that we struggle with when it comes to worshiping God rightly. And if we're willing to admit it, all of, all of us carry around some shame about what we have done with our bodies when it comes to food and sex. Food and sex are both good things that God has given for our bodies for life. So it's no wonder that the enemy attacks these good things, causes us to experience shame around these good gifts that God has given to us. And the enemy has planted stories in our world that tell us false things about our bodies so that we will be ashamed of them. And I'm going to name some of these stories and paint them with a bit of a, a broad brush, but I think that you will recognize these stories about our bodies that our world tells to us. The first is that the body is the most important thing. The, the assumption in this story is that life in this body is all that there is, that it's the most important thing. As the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, that when it comes to life lived merely under the sun, without reference to God, then we should just eat, drink, and be glad. And we are constantly being told in the world by advertisers that our bodies are not quite what they should be, and that we should offer our time and our money and our energy so that we will be satisfied in our body. In this story of the body as the most important thing, there's a particular image that's held out to us as the perfect image of bodies. You see these in the checkout lines at the grocery store. A particular definition of beauty that is demonstrated to us and held out to us as a constant and forever impossible ideal to measure up to. When the body is the most important thing, when our identity is found in how good our bodies look or with the sense that our body is receiving the kind of pleasures that it needs to or wants to, 
That's a distorted story of what our bodies are all about. Do you recognize this story, that our body is the most important thing? Do you recognize this story? The second story that is being told right now is the opposite, but really two sides of the same coin. And that is that our bodies are meaningless. This is the story that we're being told that who you are has nothing to do with your physical, biological body. That who you are is defined by what you think and what you feel in your head about who you are, disconnected from your body in any way. And so right now, there are billions and billions of dollars being spent to help move people to live more and more of their life in virtual reality. That's coming, friends. That is coming where people are going to be living more and more of their life as avatars in a virtual world. Another very dangerous version of our bodies are meaningless is the story that's going on right now around gender. What it means to be male and female. And the way that this story is told is that who we are is created in our own minds. Who we are has nothing to do with our physical bodies. Only, it's only psychological, only what we decide in our heads about who we are. And so if I believe that I am a female, then I am a female. And that I can, and I should, and maybe even must manipulate and change my biological body to conform to that idea that I have in my head. Amen. The body is meaningless. It carries no inherent value or meaning to tell me who I truly am or what I've been made to be. I can and should and must refashion, remake my body to conform to this idea in my head. And this is a story that is devastating a generation of children. Children are being told, mostly through social media, but in other ways as well, that they must carry the burden of defining their gender, their sex. That was never a decision that human beings were meant to carry. It's too heavy for us, and it's being placed on children. To be very clear, I am condemning here an ideology, not people. At Broadway Christian Church, we love and we welcome transgender people to our church in our youth group to in as much and they are are welcomed and we want to slowly and tenderly and patiently hear their story and to walk with them but this is a story that's being told right now do you recognize it do you hear it and the underlying assumption in this story is that our bodies do not carry any meaning in and of themselves we can change and alter our bodies to conform to our psychology, but our material bodies have no real inherent value, meaning, significance, or purpose. There is a third false story about our bodies, and this one is often found in the church. It's the story that says that God only cares about your soul. This story says that God is saving souls and that our bodies are just kind of a shell that our soul goes into. 
And this shell is actually kind of bad. It has all sorts of desires and passions that we have to kind of grit our teeth and fight against our whole lives. And we're constantly having to ask for forgiveness for these desires. And one day when we die, we will escape these bad shell of a body. And if we follow Jesus, somehow our souls will float up to heaven to be with him. The assumption here is that God is only concerned with the spiritual part of us. And that the physical part of us is secondary, or perhaps even really, really bad, and needs to be escaped. These are three stories. Do you recognize them? Have you heard them before? Have you experienced them? The problem with these stories is that, in various ways, that God has nothing to do with them. Remember the frame from last week? We talked about the way that God's word in many of our lives, certainly in the lives of our neighbors, but also we as Christians, live in a framework in which God's word doesn't speak to the most important matters of our lives. And I think this is very true when it comes to how we think about our bodies. And I want to suggest that every single one of us today, every single one of us today, are captive to some version or some parts of the three stories that I've just told. All of us believe them, are pulled toward them, are tempted toward them, feel ashamed because of them. All of us experience the weight and the reality of these stories that are told to us about our bodies. And so today I want to tell the better story about our bodies what the scriptures, the Bible says about our bodies and what it means to worship God with our bodies. The first is that the body is good. The first thing that we are told is that we are made in God's image, male and female. From the very beginning, our bodies, both male and female, bear a divine mark. They reflect and image God in the world. Our bodies are good. We're also told that our bodies are good and that they were made from the dust. They were made from soil. And so that's a humbling thing for us to know. It it puts us in our proper place. We exist because God chose to take us from inanimate soil with no life and to form us, and to make us, and to breathe his life into us. We are made in God's image, and we're made from the dirt. We're also created good in our desires and in our longings, that we have needs and desires, and they are good. The creation story in Genesis 2 tells us that God created a world for human beings that was beautiful and lovely and abundant. Genesis 2 gives us this description of the garden that God made for human beings where rivers flowed and that plants grew. And it says that it was a world that was made to be enjoyed by human beings. That the world had trees in it that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. That God made a world that was meant to be enjoyed by us. These desires, these longings, these needs that we have were made by God. 
And before Eve was made, Adam experienced a lack. He had a need for someone else, a desire, a longing for someone. And so God made woman, and Adam burst out in song, right, Ben, when he saw Eve, because of the delight that he had in woman, in Eve. Friends, our pleasures and our desires are good things. God made them. They can be and they are distorted, and we will get to that today, but they are good first. God gave them to you. Again, um, Mr. Lewis says, I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. (laughs) The Bible tells us that before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked, and they felt no shame. This is really important when we think about this first idea that the body is created good. That Adam and Eve were naked, and they felt no shame. As I said before, we do experience a lot of shame because of our bodies. But God's intention, his design, is that we would not be ashamed of our bodies because they're good. Adam and Eve were naked exposed their bodies were known and vulnerable and they didn't feel any shame this foundational story acknowledges how deep shame is attached to how we feel about our bodies and so what we see here at the very beginning in god's good creation is that he made us not to experience shame because of our bodies Because they were made to reflect his glory. They were good. They were made in his image to reflect him in some way. And so let's realize for a moment that your enemy, Satan, the devil, hates your body. And one of his primary goals for your life is to get you to hate and be ashamed of your body. The three stories that I just recounted to you, these stories of these false and distorted stories about our bodies, they are designed in hell to get you to despise your body. This first story where the body becomes an idol, where it's the most important thing, where youth in this specific version of beauty is held out to us as the ideal that is designed by the enemy so that you will always be dissatisfied with your body. The second story, this somewhat newer story, is the same thing in reverse. It tells us that our body is a problem, that it gets in the way of our true selves that exist, and that our disembodied mind is really where our identity lies. Our bodies are bad, they're a problem that we need to get around in some way. The third story, the one that Christians often tell, gives us the idea that God doesn't really care about our bodies at all, but only our souls, and that the desires that we experience are somehow inherently bad, and that we just need to sort of grit our teeth and white-knuckle life until we die, because these desires are just so powerful. And all of those stories are lies. They're designed by the enemy to get you to hate and to be ashamed of your body, that God made good. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one of his main goals is to hate for you, is to make you hate your body. Satan's primary purpose is for you to hate God. 
And if you can't do that, he'll make you hate the image of God. And that will be enough for him. The second thing that the Bible tells us about our bodies is that they are subject to the fall. After we learn that our bodies are good, after we learn that our bodies are good, do you hear that? After we learn that our bodies are good, say after. After we learn that our bodies and its desires are good, we then also learn that our bodies are damaged by sin and the fall. In Genesis 3, we find out that our desires, while good, can also be dangerous if they're not ordered in the right direction. Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. They saw it, their bodies desired it, and they took what was not good for them. And the consequences came to their bodies when they ate. Because of this decision to disobey the word of God, they are now going to be vulnerable to sickness and pain. They're now going to experience death, and they are now going to experience shame. Adam and Eve did what? They covered their bodies, ashamed of their bodies, this good thing that God had made. The image of God that is reflected and demonstrated is now covered in shame. The Bible tells the story of real brokenness that we all experience in our bodies. The hurt, pain, shame, the fear of death, and any other thing. The Bible is very realistic about these things. The Bible knows that they are a part of your experience in our broken world. The third thing that the Bible says to us, our bodies, is that it is the dwelling place of God. That third false story that the church often tells is that our souls escape from our body. But the um, the New Testament is clear that the body is forever the dwelling place of God. This is one of the main themes in Paul's letter. That God is at work making your place a fit dwelling for him. The Bible also reminds us that resurrection is our hope. Escape from our body is not our final goal. Resurrection is where our life in Christ is leading. The resurrection of Jesus was not a stunt so that God could prove that he had power over death. The resurrection of Jesus was the first fruit of many more resurrections to come, including yours and mine, in the renewal of the whole world. To be a human body, a human being is to have a body. It is not a shell. It's not something to be escaped. And human life will be lived in a body forever. A good and glorified and perfect body that we cannot fully imagine, but that is very real. That is in some way completely unlike the bodies that we have right now, but also in some way continuous with the bodies that we have right now. This is our hope. So this is the outline, I think, of the story that the Bible tells us about our bodies. And what this outline is pointing to is that our bodies were made to worship God. Our bodies were made to worship God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. I want to come back to these first three verses that I read for us earlier. Paul writes, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. 
Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. There is a lot packed in these three verses. Paul tells us that our bodies can very quickly become our masters. If we believe any of those three false stories that I told earlier, our bodies will become our masters. Our desires are a good thing, but good things can become twisted and they can become distorted and they can control us. And Paul knows this really well. And he knows that all of us have experienced these disordered and twisted desires when it comes to things like food and sex. He knows the ways that our bodies can control us when it comes to trying to satisfy our bellies or our sexual desires. And we also know, he also knows about the shame that comes on the other side of allowing our bodies to be our masters. And so Paul reminds us that our bodies are not made for those things. They are made for the Lord. They are made to be offered to God in worship. Our bodies were made so that we could honor him, glorify him, and worship him. And this is the call to steadfast worship that we've been exploring the last few months. Everything that we're talking about regarding worship, whether singing or baptism and communion, living in obedience to God's word, serving and loving our neighbors that we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. All of these ways are ways that the Bible tells us that we offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Our bodies were made with this great dignity in mind that we would be able to worship God with them. And then Paul says this next thing that I've sort of slowed down and read as I've read a couple times today, because it has struck me this week, that our bodies are meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Have you ever thought about that, that the Lord is for the body? I have thought about the Lord being for my spiritual life. I've thought about the Lord being for my emotional life. I've thought about the Lord giving guidance for my relationships. I've thought about the Lord giving me a sense of peace and order in my life. I've thought about the Lord being for my heart and also for my mind to help me think right things about him. But Paul says that the Lord is also for the body. I've thought about that maybe sometimes when I'm sick or when other people are sick and praying for their healing, that the Lord would be for the body in that moment. But what about in our day-to-day life? What does it mean for the Lord to be for the body? I don't know if I really know or have really experienced that in a meaningful way, at least consciously. And I think that's because I, and I think that most of us, very quickly find our pleasure and our comfort, our safety, our rest, our security in our idols and not in the Lord. And I think that because of that, we don't really know what it means for us that the Lord is for the body. We are so 
sated, so satisfied, so quenched by food and drink and sex and comfort and entertainment and other physical pleasures that are so available to us everywhere in 21st century America that it's difficult for us to know what it means for us to find peace and rest and satisfaction and pleasure in our bodies from the Lord. Our idols keep us from knowing that the Lord is for the body. And I wonder if this is part of what it means when Jesus says that it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That rich people can go and find satisfaction, pleasure, comfort, rest, security, and all sorts of other things. And never learn what life in the kingdom is about. That finding our rest and our safety, our sense of well-being, comfort, peace in our bodies from the Lord himself. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What Paul is saying to us here is that if we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, if we live our lives in this way, we will find ourselves satisfied and at rest, unashamed, even when our bodies fail us, even when they do not look the way we want them to, even when they do not function in the way that we wish that they would. But the Lord is for the body. And when we offer our bodies to him as a living sacrifice and worship to him, what Paul is saying here is the Lord will be for your body, will bring you satisfaction and rest and comfort and peace. But if we offer our bodies to idols, if we believe these distorted stories that we've heard, our bodies, we will always feel dissatisfied and exhausted, tormented, frustrated, and ashamed. I want to leave you with... Um, some final hope for our bodies. Our bodies are for worship and for enjoying God forever and ever. The New Testament is very clear that resurrection is our hope. One day these lowly, broken bodies will be transformed so that they will be like his glorious body. One day they will be raised with new, we will be raised with new, incorruptible, perfect bodies that will not decay and will never, ever die. They will be able to run and not grow weary and walk and not be faint. And so what I want to say to you today is that these present physical pleasures and desires that you wrestle with, these disordered desires that you struggle with in your life, I want to remind you today that in the resurrection, you will experience every good pleasure. Lewis again. He says this. This is... Thick, so I'll stop and explain a couple of times. He says, The faint, far off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the worlds are what we now call physical pleasures. What is he saying here? What he is saying is that when we experience physical pleasure in the world, what we are actually experiencing is the echo and reverberation of the joy of God when he made the world. That the joy that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when he created the world, that that echo, that reverberation, we still experience it in the form of physical pleasures. He goes on. And even thus filtered... They, physical pleasures, are too much for our present management, right? 
We can't manage our pleasures very well, right? But what would it be to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. If you are a believer in Jesus, your body will one day be transformed to be like his glorious, incorruptible, perfect body. And the pleasures that we experience right now, sexual pleasure is a faint, far-off echo of the unity and joy that we will experience in the life of the Trinity. When we experience a good meal, a really good meal with family and with friends, what we are experiencing is a faint, far-off energy of the joy of the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, in eternity, you will not miss out on any good thing. Our present pleasures are nothing compared to what will be. The Bible tells us the good and better story about the meaning and significance of our bodies. The Bible tells us that our bodies were made so that we can know and worship God. Our bodies were made so that they could actually be the home of God. The Bible tells us that our bodies are not meaningless pieces of meat that can be discarded, but are eternally valuable to God. That they will be resurrected, transformed into a body that is both different and connected from the body that you have right now. It will be a body that is uncontaminated with sin. It will be a body that experiences all of the pleasure that it was designed for. It will be a body that you will be unashamed of. Because you will see in that day the way that your body reflects the glory and goodness of God. Let's pray. God in heaven, we, I ask that you would show us uh, the ways that we have believed and grabbed onto some part of these other stories about what our bodies mean, what they are, what they're for. God, I, pr- I pray that you would help us to see that and to, um, to turn from it and to embrace your good story, that you created our bodies good, that our desires and our needs and our longings are good, that you made them, and that you want to satisfy them. Thank you that you are not surprised by the fallenness and brokenness of our frail bodies, but that you have decided through your spirit to come and to make your home with us. And that you promise that one day we will experience freedom, wholeness, pleasure, and goodness when our bodies are raised like Jesus' glorious body. God, I pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to live as if this story is true, because it is. Amen.